To promote my new flower shop, I had one place print my business cards, another print my brochures, and a third, my signs. Now my roses aren't red, my violets aren't blue, my geraniums look dead, and I don't know what to do. Staples can help your business stand out with signs, banners, and brochures that are a true reflection of your company. And now at Staples, spend $50 or more on print and marketing services and get $5 off your next in-store purchase. Now my business is blossoming and I'm spending less green. Exclusions apply. In-store only. And 
You can find our complete show archives, including the April 20th show, at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, slash Somewhere in the Middle podcast. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius is Common movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. It is so very important that we share this message with the youth. And not just with the youth. We all need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. You can learn about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, guys, I am super excited to introduce my guest tonight. And, well, he doesn't even know the reason I'm excited to introduce him, so I'll tell him that after we start talking. (laughs) Um, Glenville Ashby, Ph.D., is an emotional intelligence thought leader, life coach, author, journalist, syndicated newspaper columnist, wellness counselor, and lecturer. Dr. Ashby is a certified Qigong instructor who studied under Grand Master, I hope I say this correctly, Zhu Tingzhe, Tingzhe, and Tingzhe, okay, and and Sifu Tina Zhan, yes, Zan, is that correct? Oh, okay, I did okay. He's a wellness consultant at the Harlem Nursing and Rehabilitation Center, a master Reiki practitioner, a certified meditation instructor, and initiate in the Ifa tradition. He is a prolific writer, and his literary works include The Mystical Qigong Handbook for Good Health, Anamkara, Your Soul Friend, and Bridge to Enlightenment and Creativity, which received the Literary Titan Gold Book Awards, The Believers, the hidden world of West Indian and spiritualism in New York. I think that I think I've got that correct. Of West Indian yeah. in spirit, uh-huh. yes, in yeah, spiritualism in New York. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and one hundred paths to God, which is scheduled for release in. It was scheduled for release this year. Has that one come out already? Uh, it will be next week. In fact, uh, next yeah, week. And uh, in fact, it's the name is in search of truth, a course of spiritual psychology. So the name underwent a some change, but it remains the same, more or less the thesis. Is the, is awesome. The yeah. So it's, yeah, it's awesome. awesome. Next week, maybe I think next Wednesday, and I, we already got a review, and it did very well. So I'm very happy about that. Very mm-hmm. good. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. I have so much more about you here, Dr. Ashby. It has, mm-hmm. You're a graduate of the University of the West Indies in Trinidad and Tobago, Mm-hmm. Uh, London School of Journalism, College of Media and Publishing in the UK, and names I can't even say that are French because I don't speak French, uh, so I'll probably butcher them. Well, uh, well that's uh, like Italian. Um, that's um, when I studied in Rome. Yeah. And, uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. You studied uh-huh. in the Gambia. You studied in Switzerland. You yeah, have so studied... And conducted advanced research in fields of spirituality, including spiritual disorders in Rome. I can't even. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to say some of these fancy names for me because I can't. <laughs> I can't say any of that. And you're a member of the American Board of Clinical Hypnotherapy, the American Association of Transpersonal Psychology, the UK's. Speechwriters Guild, the South Asian Journalism Association, and 
you were awarded with a citation from New York State Assembly for your contributions to culture in New York. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I did a lot of work. I have been doing, I continue to do and will continue to do work with the um, the Caribbean diaspora. In fact, the book, um, The Believers, was based on my work in Brooklyn, and primarily in Brooklyn and Queens in New York, and I was given access to uh, what we call hidden practices or occult practices of the Western Indian diaspora. And it was fascinating, and, you know, I continued to work with um, newspapers as a correspondent, with Caribbean newspapers as, as a correspondent, covering um, festivities and events um, that Caribbean people are involved in. So, hence the... Wow. Award. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not even going to go through all like the rest of this. Yeah, You've got was, so uh, many... You've got a, an, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you've got an enormous. Your curriculum vita is just ridiculous, sir. If you don't mind my saying no. so, <laughs> well, you, you are. Know, I I tend to I invest a lot in myself and my education. I, that that's just, uh, paramount to me, and I continue to do that. You know, I don't ever stop. I keep learning. In fact, um, I can continue to learn um, qigong as much as I can. All. Um, you know, there's different, many different forms and the nuances of Qigong practice. And um, so I've started psychoanalysis. Um, so I, I continue to learn. I never stop. And I will never stop. You know, and, what I, and you know, all learning is one. All subjects are one. So you integrate everything into, into what they call a, a gestalt. And it becomes very powerful, you know. But uh, everything is integrated. So everything I do comes back to one source, you know. Well, and we're going to get mm-hmm. to all that in a minute because mm-hmm. I think that it's fabulous. But I want to mention one more thing to folks because I think this is really sure. important and it ties into what you were saying about investing in yourself and constantly mm-hmm. learning. Mm-hmm. Just so you know, my personal motto is always be learning. So that's yeah, <laughs> that's just sure. I love that concept mm-hmm. of always learning. But you also hold a doctorate in interreligious dialogue and diplomacy. Yes, interfaith dialogue and diplomacy. Um, yes, I do, and I think it's a combination of who I am or, and what I have, uh, my journey from childhood to present day, and that the interfaith in being involved in so many different um, religions, not only intellectually or cognitive perspective, but I've practiced and I've become very versed in rituals, um, history of religions, and um, so the, my dissertation reflected that journey, um, many, many different paths, but, uh, you know, and constant growth and what I held sacred maybe five years ago or 20 years ago, um, I have a different view and different perspective on different things now. So there's a constant growth, you know, you never... Truth is always elusive, so to speak. But I guess we can talk about that later on. <laughs> well, that gets actually to what I, the way I like to start an interview. Um, uh-huh. And I don't know if, I don't know if um, anyone ever told you this, but I have two questions that I like to start an interview with. And the uh-huh. reason is that I believe that they really lead into what you're doing. So sure. my two questions are, Dr. Glenville mm-hmm. Ashby, who mm-hmm. are you, and how did you become who you are today? Mm. Who am I? 
I am very I'm a complex individual. Um, a man of myriad uh, views, um, divergent views. Um, complex in terms of very nuanced. I am not rigid. I never. Um, like you can't put me in a in a box and define me by one in one sentence. Um, I am what I am today because of my background. I was born in Trinidad. Um, both mother and father um, were very influential in my life. My father from a political point of view and my mom from a religious point of view. So I had those two paths, paths politics and religion. Um, my mom was very, um, very, very involved in... in in her devotions, and I learned so much from her. I learned what I learned primarily, primarily from her is faith. I think that's the most important thing. And for my father, I would say I learned um, uh, resolve and never being fearful. A certain degree of intrepid, he is quite intrepid, um, and fearlessness. That's what I learned from my father um, and my mom's faith, devotion. God, whether God from it, you know, God of God from without. So that combination, the childhood upbringing, I think really um, tailored who I am today. I think, um, did I answer the question to your satisfaction? I think you did. Um, uh, okay. but, uh-huh. So, so uh, yeah, let me ask uh-huh. you, because that seems mm-hmm. to lead right into, you mm-hmm. have a lot of study of spirituality. And, and religiosity in different mm-hmm. cultures. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting because that's also an area of interest of mine. Okay. And coming from the Caribbean, uh, mm-hmm. that means you had direct contact with African traditions, African diasporic traditions. Yeah. Um, how, did that, how did that influence you as a kid would you know how did that influence your okay, outlook sure. and especially so, then when when did you come to the u.s i'm curious okay i came and I, I was 20 i think 26 27 when i came to the u.s okay so i've spent half of my life um here and half in trinidad um but i grew up catholic i grew up in a very orthodox um, religion um religious home um and African traditions, um, in particular um, Orisha, Orisha um, w- is practiced, and more and more, especially today, it's very much accepted, very much respected, and um, embraced by Afro-Trinidadians. When I grew up, it wasn't that much embraced. Um, there was still a lot of taboo and stigma in, in things African. Um, mm. Yeah, and you know, so of course we had the influence of uh, the um, well, I would say Venezuela had our influence. Mm-hmm. You have, uh, of course, Santeria, and you have um, um, Cubano, the Cubano religions, etc. So we, but Trinidad, um, more than any other English-speaking country, embraced um, the African traditions, Europe in particular. So as I, in my teens, I started moving away from. The Catholic faith, and started exploring more and more my roots, so to speak. But it took me to the countryside in Trinidad. I was teaching then; I was 21, and I sought 
a Babalao, um, or yeah, someone who was versed in the traditions of the Yoruba mm-hmm. traditions. And um, I got initiated, etc. And um, I learned a tremendous amount from the elders um, about my culture. Um, and then I moved on. When I say moved on, I also explored the East Indian, what we call the East Indian culture, Hinduism, in Trinidad also. And I was blessed to have met um, Pandit Bharat. And he took me under his wings and he taught me a whole lot about Hinduism, um, the theory and practice. And in fact, I became what they call an assistant, um, an assistant pujari, pujari, like an assistant priest. Um, so at the tender age of 23, I was, you know, I actually spent a lot of time in the mandir, in the temple, learning a lot about Hinduism. And then I compared both the traditions, Urisha and and um, Mother Kali form of worship of Hinduism, and a fascinating, fascinating um, comparative study of the two. Um, yeah, so, so Trinidad uh, as a, a diverse country, very, very culturally diverse, affords someone a searcher, a seeker, it affords that person a whole lot. You know, you have, uh, again, you have Hindu tradition, you have Islam, you have uh, African traditions, you have the Catholic faith, you have um, the indigenous religion of um, the spiritual Baptists, which is very syncretic um, with, with strains of African and Christianity. So it's a, it's a wonderful place to learn um, culture, to learn religion, to explore and to experience. Um, so that's what, that is what Trinidad has given to me, and it's something that is indelible, and it's something that really shaped and fashioned who I am today. So how did that mm-hmm. um, worldview, of mm-hmm. which was obviously very eclectic, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, coming mm-hmm. from that background and being a seeker of knowledge, spiritual knowledge mm-hmm. in particular, spiritual understanding mm-hmm. in particular, how did that mm-hmm. um, color your view when you came to the U.S.? Um, good question. I, I think, uh, well, for one, the, uh, the U.S. offered its blend of, of spirituality. Um, yeah, well, spirituality is not only seeking a God that is outside of yourself. You know, spirituality could be money. It could be anything. You mm-hmm, know, it could mm-hmm. be a, that, that which uh, satisfies you or gives you what you call, what is your definition of self-actualization. So, um, in terms of um, my experience in New York, New York did a lot for me, and the U.S. the U.S. in particular has done a lot. Has done a lot for me. Um, I joined the U.S. Um, military. At one point, I was in the military. At one point, I entered a seminary in Colorado, where I was. Um, I studied um, Syrian Orthodoxy um, for several years in Colorado. Um, so, U.S. did open that other side of the world that one I could not have experienced in Trinidad. I also was involved in the Rosicrucian Order here in in the U.S. and other what you call Western mystical traditions in the U.S. And of course, the diaspora. What we did with our culture, we brought it to Brooklyn in particular and in Queens, and it allowed me from a journalistic perspective now to write about what I already knew but through the perspective of the Caribbean diaspora, so to speak. And that is what I covered in my book, The Believers. It is in New York also that, um, that you know, I got, I had the opportunity to travel, to go to 
to Switzerland to study and also um, to the Vatican on two occasions mm-hmm. to, to study. Um, and I think my work as a journalist in New York opened those, those avenues, those doors for me, especially um, abroad in Europe. So, you know, I, 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 the whole world was my, was my canvas, so to speak. The entire world is my canvas. So I, I, you know, I, like a sponge, I take as much as I can from, from every experience. So mm-hmm. what would you say is, mm-hmm. I mean, is there a common thread that you're mm-hmm. finding among all of these traditions. For well, myself, yeah. I find that there's there's a common thread amongst the traditions that I have looked at. You know that you know I grew up Catholic in New Orleans. I, I um, went on to initiate in Haiti, and mm-hmm. I've studied uh, the Hindu tradition a bit. You know, I kind of mm-hmm. dabble here and there in different mm-hmm. traditions to learn about mm-hmm. them. And I see some common threads. What would you see? Do you see common threads? And if so, what kinds of common threads are you seeing? Well, uh, the thing is, um, no religion evolves. Every religion has evolved out of, um, through economic and political um, situations. Um, that's why you have uh, the term acculturation and enculturation. So there's no, no a religion doesn't just evolve or, or emerge in a vacuum. So obviously there will be what you call commonalities among the different religions. I like to see, I like to divide religion in terms of exoteric, which um, what's well defined as ritualist rituals and ritualistic, and esoteric. Um, and the, in the esoteric aspect of all religions, that is where the common thread is. Um, uh, let me explain that. Um, for example, um, in Islam, I would say the esoteric aspect of Islam is Sufism, Sufis. Um, you can be Catholic and be a Sufi, and you can be Hindu and be a Sufi, because um, the emphasis is not on objects or 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 liturgy, the, the, the focus is more inward, it's, in, it is, it's internal. Um, you, the same with Christian mysticism. If you study St. Ignatius, Ignatius of Loyola um, and the 30-day spiritual exercises, um, you can take that and if you're a Rosicrucian, you can identify with that. Or if you are um, what you call a sadhu or a rishi, of Hindu background, you can identify with Christian mysticism. You can identify with Sufism. So, the, so the, what, what mystics do in every religion is they shed the, the, um, the rituals. They shed the language, and they rely on the internal experience through meditation um, and through what I call um, self-mortification. And by self-mortification, I mean... Um, self-abnegation and destroying the body. When I say destroying the body, it's through fasting or starving mm-hmm. the body of, uh, of, of stimuli. So for example, when I was, um, I, I stayed at a nunnery when I was at the Vatican, and I stayed there for a while, and, you know, without television, the internet, and all that stuff, all that stimuli that tends to draw us 
um, and um, inhibits our uh, our ability to explore within. Um, that's why silence is so necessary. When once there is silence, we tend to we look inward um, and not be distracted by outside stimuli. Um, and that's the that's the goal of the mystic, and that's the goal of the mystic in every religion, and that's the common and the common thread is mysticism. I would say. What do you say? That? The common so the common yeah, thread is I had. I hadn't broken it down in that way. (laughs) Yeah, one can break break it down by saying, all right, um, when I see uh, the the liturgical practices of Catholics, I see the similarity in Hindus. For example, um, they light um, the Deya. That's the light that the Hindus Mm -hmm. use. And they say, well, the Catholics light a candle. So there are are similarities. Mm -hmm. They use light. Um, The Mm -hmm. Hindus, of course, the Catholics may ring a bell. The same is similar in Buddhism or in Hinduism. There's just... This, um, the bell, what's the significance of the bell? What's the significance of lighting a candle? What's the significance of chanting that you find in every religion? So you, you can say, mm-hmm. you, are, mm-hmm. you know, you can identify these commonalities. For example, the kufti that, the, that Muslims wear, um, as opposed to what the, the, uh, the Jews wear, um, the yamaka, you know, the skull mm-hmm. cap. And you can see that similarity. Why the skull cap on... Christians, the Pope, why the skull cap on Muslims, why the skull cap on on Jews? What's the significance of the skull cap? Now that those have become cultural or more fashionable and more cultural, um, what do I say, cultural practice. But there's a mystical reason why the skull cap is used that no one has mm-hmm. identified. We are simply saying, oh, oh, there's a similarity. We wear a cap also. Oh, they do the right. Same. Oh, we light candles. Oh, we do the same. But what's the what's is behind that that wear? What is behind that um, that ritual of lighting the candle or facing east? Why do we face east when we pray? So there's a mysticism. There's there's something behind every ritual practice that has been lost, and usually few people are given the mysteries, and few people are given the mysteries, the significance. So, you know, you go to church and you sing and you light candles and you wear a certain garb or attire for a certain occasion. But there's a significance for the color that you wear, um, you know. Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, the, you know, the mysteries are usually kept. Um, sadly, even now, the, the priestly class, another way of those mysteries, they simply hold on to the rituals. And that is, it, it is... Interesting, but it's also what has divided us as a people, the, the ritualistic right. and the traditions. So we hold on to traditions and we say, all right, you know what? I am from so-and-so tradition, so you should not mix with someone from another tradition, although you see certain similarities. And it is right. the exoteric aspect of religions that have caused all the schisms and the chaos and the, the internecine um, fighting um, that you see in the world today. The traditions, because we are looking at each other in a different, through different prisms. We see each other, um, we see a different color, we see a different ritual, and we say we are different. But behind the color and behind the ritual is spirit, and that spirit is in every single one of us, and that is the commonality. And once we get to that commonality, then we realize how... Um, trivial 
on how very dangerous sometimes exoteric religions can be and it can be exploited and it has been and will continue to be exploited. The differences that we see with our eyes. Right. Behind it. Well, and I'm curious because um, mm-hmm. you initiate into IFA, mm-hmm. and in my experience with the ATRs, uh, the African mm-hmm. traditional religions, mm-hmm. there is a great deal more of passing on of knowledge to the right. to the people who initiate. Obviously, mm-hmm. at different levels, depending on mm-hmm. how you initiate, because there are different levels. But mm-hmm. it seems like there is more of an effort to share that knowledge. So, mm-hmm. and of course, it can, so if you, in Haiti, I don't know about I don't know about other countries, but in Haiti, I notice that some things can differ from house to house. Right. Right. Um, but mm-hmm. the basic mm-hmm. concepts end up being the same, and that information is passed down. What do you find with Ifa? Well, I, I have had my personal experiences. Um, the thing with um, religion, in particular, religions that purport to give to give power to empower individuals spiritually. Um, if you read uh, my book, uh, The Believers, uh, the danger with a lot of religions, for example. I'll be very, very candid, like Yoruba, they have been commercialized, they have been bastardized, mm-hmm. they have been um, torn apart. Um, nothing, is, nothing is wrong with the religion. Uh, according to the traditions, you know, you have knowledge, it ought to be passed down in an appropriate way, and we ought to give POB sons and veneration to the elders. However, we have been, our culture has been polluted and corrupted by greed, and that's, just, that's mm-hmm. evident. Um, mm-hmm. So number one, we have to be mindful of the individual who says, or she says that, um, who says that he's a babalao, um, or he says, or she says that she's a mother, as we call them. Yeah, we have to be mm-hmm. mindful of that initially. Um, and we have to make sure that uh, what you're learning is accurate. Um, and what you're learning, and you're learning for the wisdom. You're not learning for material things. You're learning because you want to reconnect with your culture. You are learning because for your love of the culture, love of humanity. And when you learn with that, from that perspective, from that power, then wisdom comes. When you join religion or join mystical orders for gifts, so to speak, as the Corinthians talk about the gifts of whether it's um, glossolalia or healing or whatever, when you join any organization to, to attain so-called gifts, that's a selfish, it becomes very selfish and very dangerous. And that is where the corruption of the religion um, occurs. And for, for too long, I've seen that in the African traditions, um, not only mm-hmm. African traditions, but in Hinduism, and uh, again, it's part of the culture, the overall culture that we find ourselves in, a culture that is steeped in materialism. It obviously is going to seep into um, one's sacred practices. So I'm not knocking any one faith. You, go, or you, go, you look around, whether it's um, in India, the so-called or self-styled godmen have been arrested in droves for a lot of you know, inappropriate, un- unethical practices. And worse. Really? Um, yeah. You know. 
Yeah, so so we have a we have a problem. We have a problem where the religion now is this highly highly questionable on uh, religious leaders, etc. So we have to be very careful and very um we have to be very careful and make sure you do your do your due diligence before you approach anyone um, seeking knowledge and information because it's um, so, right. <laughs> Sorry. No, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, yeah, yeah. So I've seen it done. Um, there's, we have to understand also that in, especially in the African, if you in the African traditions, you have to look at religion vis-a-vis economics, um, vis-a-vis marginalization. A number of individuals who are in the diaspora, um, and well, then let me rephrase that: uh, the spiritual leader in black in in, Af- in the African tradition is. The politician, the economist, um, the priest—he or she is everything. Um, and uh, that person wields tremendous power. And uh, as a result of that, disseminating information becomes a very tricky thing. Like every other religion, are you going to disseminate to any and everybody, and in so doing, jeopardize your standing, your economic standing? A lot of individuals have used spirituality also to to re, to gain power within their little enclave. They can't get power in the wider society. They're already marginalized because of economic or cultural um, differences, lack of education, or what have you, no jobs. So their power is within the diaspora, the small diaspora community, and um, it becomes... Um, you know, dangerous for individuals in that setting where they wield enough power, and uh, and for the gullible individual, you are it's open season. I, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. I'm so. Oh, are you getting me? Well, what? yeah. Uh-huh. Let me let me ask a question because because one of the things that I observed because mm-hmm. um, I I initiated some years ago mm-hmm. in Haiti and. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I came back stateside, uh, you know, you kind of fall into community a lot of times, mm-hmm. and I fell into mm-hmm. a community, and it was actually, I thought it was fabulous, the things that we were doing, because we were working on our community, mm-hmm. you know, kind of creating a community in the in the Ninth Ward, in, the, mm-hmm. in New Orleans, uh, okay. ar- around a botanica. And right. lots of people came. We had kids in there who mm-hmm. lived in the neighborhood. They might want to shelve candles to earn some little candy money. Uh, we'd make sure they were doing their homework, things like that. So we tried to integrate ourselves into the community mm-hmm. in a very particular way, I think, mm-hmm. to try and uplift the community in the way that right. we could. But I also saw that there was a tendency toward a cult of personality exactly. around exactly. one particular That's person. True. Is that what you're referring to? That is what I'm referring to. Uh, and it's very important. What what you have said, I think, is, is, is necessary, that um, those who have had success in the wider society return because you're not seeking uh, it, it's, a, it's more psychology here you are not seeking really anything you're not seeking um, uh, preeminence in a community you're there to share information and share knowledge because you have validation you already have validation um, those who are really stuck 
in the community and have not gone outside of it are seeking validation from within the community. And that is where, from within the community, and that is where the cult of personality usually arises. It's a very delicate thing, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to, I'm not generalizing, but I feel mm-hmm. it's a problem that has to be uh, addressed. You know, um, and of course, you'll have the clashing of the old world and the new world. You find that the old folks do things a little differently. Um, right now in Trinidad, there is the emphasis on the total Africanization of of uh, religion. Now, yeah, in mm-hmm. Trinidad, you have this sync- um, the, re- the African religion can be syncretic. So you have strains of Catholicism, obviously, because of our right. experience, um, the slave of experiences, experiences as the slave trade experience. So they did bring in strains of Christianity into the Yoruba faith, and what they did was compare the, the Orisha to the Catholic saints, and they found commonality there, the same characteristics. So, so Ogun will take on, or Shango will take on the characteristics of St. Michael and, and vice versa. The new, more, I will say, worldly Pan-Africanist is now denouncing that and saying that we are going for the full Africanization of the religion and let's mm-hmm. get rid of, shut ourselves from every strain of, of Christian thought. So it's, it, what I'm saying is that it's a very um, touchy area. There will be you know, some pushback um, because of, of the new approach that has taken place. Um, and, you know, so nothing is monolithic and nothing is fluid. Everything has to be worked out and there will be changes. And once there's change, there'll be friction and some chaos, etc. But we are now on the right track in terms of bringing African culture. And I think it's long overdue, especially in the U.S., um, authentic African culture to the African-American community. I think it's long, long overdue. Um, we have been fortunate in Trinidad to have that, um, not so in Barbados, not so even in Jamaica. You know, really. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you don't find. Um, I write, I write um, for Jamaica Gleaner. I mean, I've had a, a column, religion and culture column, for the last six years, um, every week, every Sunday, um, and I have been, you know, introducing a whole lot of different religious expressions in my column. Um, you have revivalism in Jamaica. So, uh, you have that um, very much Christian with this African um, explosive uh, articulation of color and dance and shouting. Uh, when I say shouting, I mean chanting. Um, right. Again, you call it revivalism. But in terms of authentic Africanism or African Yoruba expression, no, I don't think it's, it's there at all. I'm going to push back on I'm going to push back on the need for that to some extent and I'm going to I'm going to and I'm going to tell you why because I think that just as religion evolves for other reasons obviously religion and spirituality evolved because of migration whether forced or not Mm -hmm. and I I don't know that there's anything that's I'm not saying that we don't necessarily need to understand the connection to mm-hmm. the African uh, mm-hmm. tradition, you know, as mm-hmm. the, if you would call them the pure African traditions, they aren't, they're not pure in Africa anymore either, presumably mm-hmm. given the influence right. from other countries. But 
I'm not, I think that we have created a new people here and through our experiences and therefore, therefore the traditions have evolved to suit those, to, to meet this environment. Right. Um, So uh, mm -hmm. let me, let me explain why I I say that. I had to, I had to really look at what was going on in Haiti Versus what goes on in New Orleans, right? Because I grew up in New Orleans, and I I developed an intense interest in Haiti, particularly um, in college. And as I looked at it, I said, there's a definite connection there, but there's something that's distinctly different, something that's shifted. And Mm -hmm. it seemed to be because of this particular environment that things shifted the way that it did. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that the shifts were all good. Right. But they seem right. to be necessary for the survival of the traditions and the people. Right. Um, well taken. Well taken. Um, yet, uh, I'm not going to push back that much or too much. Um, <laughs> but, but I will, uh, you know, the impulse of, of a people cannot, when I say the impulse, I mean the, I can't say, I don't want to say existential. The, the, there's something in need within culture that speaks to a people and that, that can never be silenced regardless of the of, of circumstances. Uh, we could have said, or I, in Trinidad, that um, the circumstances such that we have forged a Trinidadian culture. Yes, we have. There is a distinct Trinidadian culture. Um, but still, there is this thirst and the need to go back. And when I say go back, to discover what was there um sometimes it's not circumstances sometimes sometimes it's really um more spiritual something that is hardly definable by any circumstances but something within the individual they call it um what carl jung will call it like a cultural archetype like some more more mm-hmm. archetypical uh, archetypical that you don't know where it comes from but you are part of this tree and although you have um, that, that, that the roots of which are so broad that you have no other choice but to feel some kind of connection. Now, it may be on a mass scale, or it could be on a very individual level, um, but it doesn't <laughs> negate what you're saying, and, neither does it, and it doesn't um, state that uh, a new society is formed out of every experience. It doesn't negate that. It doesn't um, prevent that. But it does speak to something within an individual that is very powerful and you actually need to discover. I guess that's why um, Ancestor.com and, and, and such sites are so popular because, mm-hmm. you know, people want to know, you know, right. you know uh, there's, there's something. I mean, you, you can live in, we're in Mars, but there's if Ancestor com reaches Mars, you'll still want to find out what was on Earth, who were my forefathers or my ancestors or my, or my foreparents on Earth. And there'll be that, that need, that passion that is almost mm-hmm. inexplicable. You know, and that's, um, that's the power of soul. You know, the power of soul um, trumps all else, all culture, all circumstances. It's something deep that speaks with you or speaks to you. Uh, and that said, it doesn't mean that I'm promoting, and that's where my complexity comes in, because I really mm-hmm. feel that uh, the ultimate expression of humankind is through, again, what Carl Jung or what most of the pioneers and psychoanalysts call individuation, 
where we must shed eventually all of that, all the rituals and all the institutions, you know, in our path, on our journey towards what you can call it, um, I, I want a better word than self, uh, self-actualization, um, moksha, total illumination. So you're no longer mm. constricted by any barrier, whether it's family, whether it's a barrier of institutions, the judiciary, and that is the pathway of true spirit, you know. Um, and it's one thing to say, all right, I'm Catholic today, I shed Catholicism, and now I'm deep into Orisha. But arguably, you're still within the institution, and you're still really not discovering the journey of the soul, you know, of your particular journey. You know, you are you are absorbing the journey of of everyone else. So it's 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 very very it's complex, and this is where I am, to be honest with you. I love Orisha and the African tradition from a very political perspective, cultural and polit- political. But in terms of my soul and my journey towards whatever that exists or doesn't exist, I don't think the the African culture will bring me there. That's my personal. You know, I have to shed everything, really, everything to really experience that. Well, you know what? That makes me want to share with you what a friend of mine said to me many years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's, he was talking about some of these stories that we hear that are basically allegories. Mm-hmm. And the one that he referred to was the story of um, Osiris. Mm-hmm. Where his brother chopped him, put him into and all these different pieces, him. and threw oh, him, dismembered yeah. him, and threw the pieces I mean, all over the earth. I'm and uh, his wife, right? Mm-hmm. And she, but together. she went and got him all the pieces together. But one piece was missing, and that was uh-huh. the phallus. Uh-huh. And what he what he said was that's actually an allegory for right. the spiritual knowledge. Right. The spiritual understanding, I want to say understanding rather than knowledge, the spiritual understanding actually being spread amongst people around the world and no one having all of the pieces. And right. even if you put all of those pieces together, there would still be something that was elusive to us mm-hmm. in and terms of our understanding. And I, I, yeah, and I will um, support that. Um, you know, we can interpret the Assyrian story in many ways, and that's one way to put it. Uh, we can look at the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament and say that's another way, that truth will never, once we are in this, in this body, um, we will never, truth will always remain elusive. And the more we climb towards heaven, so to speak, uh, that, uh, that story as it depicted, as they walked, as they climbed towards heaven, everything, they start to speak, started speaking in different languages, it could go no further. And that is um, emblematic of uh, the distortion that comes with, as you, as you arrive or get close to the truth, um, there is usually fissure, and you will never get it. You can never find it. Um, you can never embrace it. Um, I, I really believe so. I believe so. We can't wrap. It is impossible for us to intellectualize and even experience in this life, and even if we would experience an inward journey, it can become very dangerous for the for the body, the mortal body, or the corporeal self, so to speak. So I don't think we'll ever find out. And even if we, we believe in life after death, and if, if we were to believe that 
there are spirits around. And if we believe spiritualism, when I say spiritualism, I mean um, Western spiritualism, that you can actually conjure or talk to the dead through mediumship. Even those so-called spirits, and that's very questionable if they are spirits, but whatever, that's a different topic. We can talk about that at some other point. Mm-hmm. But even if they, were, if they are true, they themselves are all confused. So even if we were to shed the body and we end up in a different plane of existence, whether it's the astral plane or the etheric plane or whatever plane, the knowledge we have is still limited based on the testimonies of these so-called spirits. There's, they are confused, just like us. So death doesn't bring wisdom or death doesn't necessarily bring truth. It remains elusive. And based on, again, based on channeling and all those beings that come through, um, those so-called spirits, for want of a better word, or energies will tell you that they don't know. And they are given their, their skewing wisdom and they still don't know the ultimate truth. And I don't think we'll never know it. But we can do something, you know, we can structure our lives in such a way that we can live, um, we, can, we can be on the, on the path to enlightenment. That's, that's, that is what we can only hope for. But I don't mm-hmm. think we know truth, and truth doesn't come in a book, um, whether scripture or not. That's somebody else's truth. That's not your truth, you know. So and for too long we have mm-hmm. relied on someone else's truth of thousands of years ago that has been inscribed and then we take that and we rationalize and we imbibe it and we internalize it as our truth and it's not our truth you know it's not our truth so we have to find uh, truth is very individual um it's very complex it's very confusing it's very maddening um many have gone what we call um there's a term called spiritual um suffered what they call spiritual crises um or kundalini crisis because of seeking what we call wisdom. So it can be very disconcerting um, psychically. You know. but, but truth is not found in a book. It's a very internal process. Uh, if what you think is true is true, it's, uh, you know, I can't define it quite honestly. After 40 years of seeking, and I've started very young, um, I can come up and I can say, oh, this is truth. If I can start my own religion, I should say that, you know, and you'll have followers. <laughs> and you'll have many followers, you know, if you articulate enough and you have the right marketing tools and you have the charisma that's necessary, you start your own religion. But that's my truth that I created um, back in Trinidad that started in Trinidad and culminated in the U.S. And that's my truth that others can hold on to and say, yeah, that's true. Because it sounds true. It sounds logical. It sounds reasonable, you know. But we have to find well, our own paths. Mm-hmm. I want to um, get a couple of. I want to get a couple of questions. We have a couple of questions in the chat, and one of them has to do with what you said about the um, uh, the African in the turning toward African influence, mm. um, particularly in Trinidad right now. And the question is, is that a backlash against specifically against Catholicism or against, you know, white culture or white, you know, influence in the culture there? Is that what has caused that? Mm, I, I, I'm not going to say it's a, it's a backlash. and I'm not going to say it's um, in any way 
uh, it's demeaning to Catholicism. I, I, you know, there's a strain. Uh, it's more black intellectuals have that approach because they have been, they have traveled to Africa. Um, they have a pan-African political approach, and um, you call it a backlash if you wish. Um, it's understandable. It's understandable given, um, the, you know, it's understandable given the history of blacks throughout the world and the the, the um, oppression, etc., and the usurpation and the supplanting of our culture. And give, so it's understandable. Um, I can't. It's, it's not a backlash. It's not. It isn't hostile. I think there's a discussion. Um, I think mm-hmm. we have to respect the elders because whether you've traveled Africa a hundred times and you know, and you have a PhD or whatever you have, the elders, if you are true to your faith and are true to your culture, the elders must have preeminence. And the elders are the ones who have lived and that they have had the experience and they have had, um, you know, political opposition. They have fought on that level. Um, the younger folks, uh, they haven't had that kind of experience, that practical experience, um, wisdom. They don't have the wisdom. They may have the academic understanding. Um, so it's something that they have to sit and work out. And eventually, of course, eventually, um, the African approach will win out, I believe. Um, and it all depends on it's, it's a politics and economics, I, I believe. But the elders cannot be negated or marginalized in this process at all. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, we have another question, and that question had to do with where you say truth is individual. Mm-hmm. And the question has is, if truth is individual, where does that leave us as a society because mm-hmm. there has to be some unifying truth in order for society to stand, doesn't there? Right. right. Okay, uh, that's a good question. I wrote an article, um, Ethics and Morals. If we look at ethics and morals and compassion and love, those are inbuilt. I mean, neuroscientists, science has now proven that there's a, like a compassion gene. Um, you look at Czech, the Czech Republic, you can call it the Czech Republic the atheist capital of the world. They are very proud of their agnosticism and their atheism. Like 75% of the people, the individuals, don't believe in God. Yes, mm. they do not have a problem with crime. They do not have a major problem with corruption that we see in so-called God-fearing nations. And I'll be very mm-hmm. frank with you. Trinidad is boasts of being a God-fearing nation, and so is Jamaica. And we have the country, a small country, riddled with ethical issues and with crime. It's revolting. So the, the, a society has to stand and will stand based on ethics of a person. Um, Confucius, Confucianism is based on personal responsibility um, to society, to family. Those things are really ingrained and can be instilled. And not only can be instilled, they are already within us. Compassion is already within us. Um, so society will stand. It doesn't need a truth based on religion. It doesn't need a religious truth to stand. Okay. Okay. So they don't have much of an issue with crime in, in the Czech right. Republic. They don't yeah, have much I mean, of an issue with crime. Interesting. 
No, they don't have a uh, yeah, you go to the uh when, and, the US and when you say um, crime you mean street crime, right? Like uh, street, street crime, crime, people bonking I mean, you on the head and taking yeah. their stuff. Exactly. Okay. Even um even drug related offenses or offenses are based of petty theft and stuff like that. Um again you look at the founder of, of the Czech Republic and you'll realize um he was more into what they call uh um ethics on on the moral mm. So you know, and, and those are, you know, it resonates within us. I mean, we are compassionate. We can, have, we have the propensity for evil, but we also have that inbuilt compassion gene that can be nurtured um, without saying or pronouncing that one religion saves humankind or one approach to Islam is correct. And then suddenly you have conflagration or intra-religious wars between one religion because of political uh, exploitation. And that is the mm-hmm. problem. You know, so, but, so truth in society um, is very possible, it's very, very real, without, you can't exploit compassion, you can exploit religion. You can exploit religion by saying they are interpreting their evil, or they are tools of the devil. Oh, they are not praying to the right God. You could exploit that, and they have. And so many of so many leaders have done so in the past. But you can't exploit compassion. You can't exploit love. You can't say someone is 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 being wrongly compassionate. Or, right. Or, yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. So so yes, we have to build a society, um, you know, free from political exploitation, and 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 for so long, too long. We have had too many wars and too many strifes based on the um, on politicians, on the whim of politicians for their own self-aggrandizement and protection. And proceeding, it goes on. It has gone on in India. It has gone on in um, right now. Would you believe right now in Myanmar, right now in Myanmar, so-called pacifist Buddhists are actually engaging in genocide against um, the. The Rohingya, the Muslims, and so, yeah. so we have a we have a real problem. When when we looked at Buddhism, when we see Buddhism, we see we see priests or Buddhist priests who are in, who are deep in meditation, and so many of us gravitate. We say, we know, oh, I'm I'm giving up on on Catholicism. There's a problem with Catholicism. I'm going to Buddhism, and look look what's happening. So the problem is right. not the problem. There's a problem with religion. There is a problem with institutions. And that is a right. problem. Institution. There's a problem there, um, and that is why we have to find a path outside of the, the, the chatter, the political chatter, the political noise, um, because we can be so. Our mind is so pliant that it, it bends to the will of people who speak on truths. So we have to be mindful of that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And not just and not just take what's being said to us and, exactly. and run with it. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. So, so no one has uh, what what we call no one religion has uh, a patent on truth. Once you once we start with that, then we have um, you start marginalizing other religions and you, you start discrimination and prejudice immediately. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, so I'm gonna I'm out. gonna take. Sorry. Uh-huh. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm here. Well, I'm gonna, I want to take one more question um, from the chat box, and then because we've come to about the top of the hour, 
So. And I don't want to. Um, I don't want to take too much more of your time. I'm really grateful that you're willing to spend so much time with us here. But mm -hmm. the, the there's a question in the chat box asking you, what is a kundalini crisis? Mm. Okay, so um, the kundalini crisis uh, is a spiritual, it can be defined as a spiritual awakening that, that goes bad. All right, so let me explain that. Um, a number of us, um, it is also called a, a Kundalini crisis or spiritual crisis. It's, al it's also called what uh, St. John of the Cross said, a dark night of the soul, a dark night. Mm -hmm. um, it can be, it can manifest um, when, uh, when one is obsessive about spiritual practices. You pray too much, you fast too long or too much. You, um, you praying excessively, um, fasting excessively, um, chanting, meditating excess excessively, doing yoga excessively, meditating excessively. What happens is that you restructure the energy centers in the body. Now, the Kundalini is said to be based in the spinal, the bottom, the six area, the bottom, the, the, below the spine or under the spine. Um, in Chinese philosophy, in Qigong, it's called um, the Dantian, and that's like three inches under the navel. So both Chinese and Hindus do recognize this power. Freud, Sigmund Freud, calls it the libido, the sexual energy mm -hmm. that's based mm -hmm. in the gonadic area. So anything we do, whether even, quite frankly, an orgasmic experience, that's why in Tantra Yoga, you can have that kundalini exploding. It's a, it's a feeling of total euphoria that can bring on hallucinations, audible and visual hallucinations. Now, for the, on, for the novice, someone who is on, on a wheel, who is not taught by a master, what happens is that any, hallucinary or halluc um, any hallucination can become very disconcerting and very disturbing. Um, no, usually it's visual hallucinations and auditory. So you hear stuff that you shouldn't be hearing. Usually it's persecutory voices that you hear. Um, so it opens you, it opens you to what you call the spiritual world. That's what a kundalini mm -hmm. crisis does. Um, you look, um, you go into psychiatric wards. Sixty-five percent of the individuals in psychiatric wards um, usually are walking around with Bible or spewing something from Revelation or some Quranic verse, etc. It's all mm -hmm. about God, 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 God. So it's really an obsession, um, what they call a, patho a psychopathological obsession with God that causes the energy to rise not in the way it ought to, but it goes into different channels of the body and it breaks down the nervous system. And that causes the, um, what they call the uh, physiological problems, the hallucinations and the psychic problems. Um, and it leads to psychosis. Untreated, mm. it leads to psychosis. Um, and because Western medicine um, is not equipped to deal with it, what, what psychiatrists will do, they give you medication to right. try to smother the, the, the impact of it, and it leads to even more problems. Individuals who are versed in what you call transpersonal psychology have used art therapy in particular um, and grounding techniques to smother or to 
relax the Kundalini and bring it back to its source. Um, but it, it needs you need a skillful individual. You need someone who's who is skilled in grounding techniques. There are, very, mm-hmm. there are many ways to ground an individual, and someone who understands that a Kundalini experience could be a breakout and not a breakdown. Most right. psychiatrists see it as a breakdown, and once they do that and they treat it in, as a breakdown, then you will be perpetually in a blighted situation. And sadly, that happen, has happened too many times in all different cultures. It has happened in mm-hmm. Buddhism. Um, in Chinese culture, they call it um, uh, the fire. I forget the term. It's in Chinese. It's called um, the, the fire consumes you. That's when you have a dying mm. crisis. And again, the whole concept of the fire, because the Kundalini is a Shakti in Hinduism, is a Shakti um, that is seen, uh, depicted in the form of fire. So the Chinese call it the fire has consumed you. Um, so one has to be very, very understand that if you have a spiritual teacher and then you really want to do meditation, you will experience, um, you know, situations that could be uncomfortable, but you have to learn how to redirect the consciousness and, of course, treat whatever comes up. If the Kundalini does rise, then you have what you call the Samadhi experience. Um, and, of course, a samadhi experience when the kundalini rises the third eye all seen eye of consciousness then you can exhibit weird behaviors singing all the time laughing um uh, muni sadhu and, and swami ramakrishna um, would exhibit all these weird behaviors but they knew it was a kundalini experience if it's a regular doctor they would say he's psychotic and treat him like mm. such. so you know a lot of us end up in the uh, we, we put ourselves in perilous situations when we embrace a lot of cultures like kundalini yoga we do kundalini yoga and we're not aware of what we're getting in ourselves into sometimes we have we are naturally neurotic so we have psychological problems to start with a good teacher will not accept a student with psychological problems with anxiety problems so all those things a teacher must find out before he accepts a student to study kundalini yoga do you have any uh, do you take do you take psychotropic medication yes or no do you have problems sleeping are you anxiety stricken do you see a psychiatrist all those questions must be answered mm-hmm. yeah before you you know um but you, you christian saints experienced it like, again as i said saint Saint john of the cross john the baptist experienced it um one can argue that um, St. Paul on the, road to, on the road to Damascus had this Kundalini experience where he saw a vision. All, most of the visions, that, the, the biblical visions, are because of the Kundalini experience. That's why, again, it's, all, it's their experiences. Interesting. Yeah, but that's, yeah, yeah. So I explore all those things in my book on Qigong. I, um, I explore it in my new book, um, The Spiritual... Um, the in search of truth, all those things are uh, uh, examined and explored. So you know, this is a long road. The road to enlightenment is a long, long road that uh, few are willing um, to really invest that amount of time. But again, you can't force anyone. This is this is something that is um, driven. You have to be driven, like an artist, like a writer. Mm-hmm. Something that comes from within and searching um, for truth. Um, becomes preeminent in a seeker's life, 
Um, everything else is second, please second fiddle. Um, you know, it's everything else is in the background. This is, and, and well done, it brings a lot of, it's, it's immensely rewarding because you, um, there's a certain peace of mind and you're no longer um, a slave to, or you're no longer a tool of a puppet of what goes on around you of all the chatter, the noise, and groupthink becomes a thing of the past, you know, a validation from the group or in the group. You become your own person, you know, so it's very rewarding, and you have that insight. Um, so I'm not going to give it up for the world, not for Powerball, anything, you know. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> yeah. Very good. Well, that's good because we need more books. We need more of your yeah. wisdom out there. So thank you so much. And um, we've already we've already come past the top of the hour. But what do you have going on that you want our listeners to know about? Okay. Um, well, my book, uh, In Search of Truth, should be out next week. In Search of Truth, um, a course in spiritual psychology that is scheduled to be out next week. Uh, on Amazon, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> the, the other book is Anamkara, which came out last year, and that's won the award. Um, and it's also an, an audio book format. It's called Anamkara, Your Soul Friend and Bridge to Enlightenment and Creativity. Um, and that's an audio book. So whether you're in your car or you're cleaning in your house or washing the dishes, you can have Anamkara in the background. A wonderful book. Um, uh, yeah, it's really, really one of uh, one of the best, and of course, the classic is uh, the Believers, um, which explores subjects or topics like um, voodoo and Orisha, Santeria, Palo, and, and Cuba, and all that other good stuff. You know, so very so, good. And, yeah, and you can also um, read my column uh, in, in Jamaica Gleaner. Weekly, or you can go on to glenvilleashby.com, sorry, glenvilleashbyjournal.com or glenvillewellness.com, or you can just Google me and Google Glenville Ashby, and everything else, everything will just pop up, and you can do some research on me there. So thank you so much. Awesome. Well, let me ask you this too: How can people connect with you? Can they connect with you on social media? Yes, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, um, Facebook, yes, on Twitter, um, LinkedIn to some extent, but more so Twitter and Facebook. And, um, yeah, you can email me. Do you give your email out? Since it's already, if you want to, it's, yes, it's your email. <laughs> no, well, I mean, everyone has, I mean, gets a ton of, ton of mail based on, based on um, <laughs> my columns. So if anyone wants to get some more information, you can email me at glenvilleashby at gmail.com. Awesome, uh, Glen- awesome, yeah. awesome. Okay, Very so cool, Dr. Ashby. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. It's been fabulous. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it, and good night. Bye-bye. Okay, guys, that's our show for this week, guys. You can reach me online at urbanbookeditor.com or on Facebook and Instagram 
as Urban Book Editor. So you can send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. And again, a big, big shout out to Beverly Black, um, Tribe Family Channel, and all the members of Tribe Family Channel. It is a pleasure and an honor to be associated with her and that great family of programs. Make sure you guys tune into the show on May 18th. And you can find us every other Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash somewhere in the middle radio. You can also find us at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash somewhere in the middle podcast. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all. Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Oh, what a great audience. Let's dim the lights for this next one. Nope, too much. Ah, there it is. Gotta get things just right. Like Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay and we help you find coverage options that fit your budget. And now, the mood is right. Wait, the lights are back on again. Trudy, can you? And now it's completely dark. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I used to be so sure of myself. I was a crispy chicken person. Chicken McNuggets made with all white meat chicken had me from the first bite. But ever since trying McDonald's garlic white cheddar grilled chicken sandwich, I can't stop thinking about the perfectly marinated grilled chicken. Have I become a grilled chicken person? Enjoy chicken at McDonald's. Whether it's crispy like the buttermilk crispy tenders, grilled in your favorite chicken sandwich, dipped in sauce or not. McDonald's. Chicken how you like it. At participating McDonald's.